All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. We'd love you to support this show. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Your likes and subscription helps us to grow and attract interviews and content. So please retweet and share our posts. Your contributions are appreciated. Welcome to episode 455 of the KISS FAQ podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. And you might notice that everyone is missing and there's a new face. I'm pleased to introduce Rodney Lindell, a fan from Sweden, who is also, I believe, editor of the KISS Destroyer Swedish fanzine. And more importantly, for the context of the conversation that we're going to have today, has done an incredible article and research into the Popcorn Pub Coventry, which of course has uh, just celebrated its 50th anniversary for the first place that KISS ever played a show together. So Rodney, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. It's going to well, be fun to share my uh, discoveries that I've made last year. Yeah, it should be fun because you have posted some on the FAQ. I have seen your postings yeah. uh, elsewhere on Facebook. The Swedish KISS community is a very strong, a powerful and attractive KISS community. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you guys, the Destroyer fanzine, let's talk about that first. Uh, the Destroyer fanzine, pardon me. Um, really the is last two issues yeah it's it's this, an inc- it's an incredible fanzine yeah and this I, one is, I just... Uh, just getting posted to the fans uh what it was printed last week and it's going to be made out this week it's right, a fantastic so, magazine so what is your role with that fanzine and what you, for the for the non-swedish speakers it's a reason to learn swedish the, that fanzine if you need no other reason learn swedish so that you can read that and the books that alex and carla are putting out only in that language <laughs> yeah it, it, it really is um it's i've been working for the fanzine about 20 years um posting articles in it and uh, in the last two issues, I've been the chief editor and stepped up for doing that work and also writing one or two or three articles each, each, uh, each issue. And the last one, I've done an eight-page article about the Coventry and the popcorn. Uh, it's a full, yes, color pages, 50 pages plus with colors and original material. It's no uh, reprints from magazines. It's just re original material. Throughout. Origi- original material written by fans for yeah. Swedish fan- or Scandinavian fans. Yeah. So there is some crossover um, yeah, in, in, the, in the language. Um, you know, eight going eight pages into, into the Coventry is an amazing deep dive. But before we talk about that, yeah. I want people to get a feel for you as a KISS yeah. fan. What was what made you a KISS fan? What was the album and or song or picture that grabbed your attention and, and got you addicted to this life? A world without heroes and the elder. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was 11 years old and it was a TV program in Sweden who showed the uh, video. And I got hooked. Uh, I mean, Gene was crying and there was some soft music. I was into the Beatles at that time. 
and I love the Beatles and I love the Wings and some Swedish music. And then I saw that and it fit into my 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 liking. And then I Love It Loud came like a year after and I was hooked. And then Lick It Up came in 1983. And that's when I became a real Kiss fan. I saw them at the ice stadium here in Stockholm. And from then on, I was a Kiss fan. It was number one for me. And I've seen them about 25, 30 times now. 83 was the first, and I saw them in Stockholm, Gothenburg, and Helsinki this summer. And I'm going to see them at the Dalhalla. That's going to be amazing. And they're going to play in an old quarry in uh, north of Stockholm, like two hours north of Stockholm. It's an outdoor arena in old quarries. It's 6,600 people only. But they're doing two nights. Two nights in a row. That's, yeah. um, I mean, how how tired Gene's going to be the last night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. They've done some incredible yeah. venues over the years, notably in France and Italy, yeah. playing some of the Roman amphitheaters. And they've never done, you know, been to North Africa and done anything with the Sphinx. Um, no. But to do a quarry with its impressive surround, and apparently the, the, the acoustic, the sound is amazing in that because of the rock walls. Yeah. Um, but it, it's going to be incredible. I, I hope groups of fans get together and coordinate filming um, i think i think it will be yeah because it, it just seems to make the perfect setting to really capture kiss in an unusual visual setting yeah but it's going to be in summertime in sweden so it's going to be quite light it's not going to be dark outside it's going to be quite the sky is going to be quite light it's going to be cool anyway i think and it's it's really off off the grid it's not it's no big city in the area. It's like half an hour from a small city. It's just out, way out in the woods. It's going to be really cool. That's that's really interesting. So leading into the yeah. Coventry research, what I Wait, find... I say one more thing? Oh, please. <laughs> uh, oh, this yeah. is uh, me and a guy called Johan Falk. We did this book like 10 years ago. It's Kiss in Sverige. It's about all the Kiss visits to Sweden from... 1976 until 2013. We're probably going to do a, when they quit, they're going to, when they finally quit, we're probably going to do a follow up and do the, yeah. all the visits in Sweden. We hope so anyway. Yeah, no, that I've got that on my bookcase, hardcover, beautiful, yeah. full color, glossy yeah. interior. Again, passion. And since that was published, you've had Gene Simmons come out there uh, with yeah. the solo band. Um, you've had Ace yeah. Fraley out yeah. there doing, you know, so to encompass all of history would yeah. be really nice to see. And, and I'm always a cheerleader. I'm always screaming for people in cities where yeah. Kiss has had many visits or countries to compile something representing only your country. Uh, yeah. or, or, or city, because it really is an amazing thing for the rest of us fans to be able to look through. And that was really, uh, that was one of the first ones to really focus on a country. Yeah. I also like your books when it focus on like one album or one small, short era. That's what I like when you go really deep on small subject. 
That's yeah, I, you know, I wish I could take credit for that. It, it wasn't my idea. It was Tim's idea, and most of it was his uh, interviews. But, you know, it does appeal to me as well. Yeah. When I read about bands, I do like to read. If I'm reading about Def Leppard, I'd really like to just read about High and Dry. Yeah. Um, or even Hysteria as an album and a tour. You know, yeah. just single topic, single year, very tightly focused. But let's talk. go back 50 yeah. years in time. Yeah, what? years. What got your interest up enough to start digging into the history of the Coventry? Because it starts with one very special thing, doesn't it? Yeah, it was two years ago. I was, it was the summer of 2021. I was chatting with my friend Alex, uh, and we were discussing why is there no photos of the Coventry, of the front of the Coventry? We have some photos on inside, uh, a lot of Kiss photos and some of the other bands, but there's none of the front of the Coventry. And I, saw, I thought that it must be somewhere. And I actually spent almost two two nights uh, hunting for it digitally. And I was close a few times. I found some tax photos from the 1940s and 1980s uh, where they photographed every building in New York for tax purposes. And I got some photos of the Coventry building from 1940. Uh, I can, I, can, I would send them to you and can show this in. Uh, you can cut them in. Um, when they show the front of the building as it was in 1940, it was a pub at that time. Also, it was called the Horseshoe Inn because it was supposed to be a horse-shaped, uh, horseshoe-shaped uh, bar at uh, place. Uh, and then I found the 80s photos from 1980, but it didn't show the front of the Coventry. It was taken at the corner. So I got close, but not where I wanted to be. And then I got a tip from, I actually joined a lot of groups from uh, from the Queens on Facebook, uh, Sunnyside uh, uh, groups, like I think five or six groups. And I asked them about it. Uh, isn't there any photos? And people starting asking their grandmothers, do you have any photos? None had any photos. Someone said, well, the movie Gambler was recorded uh, in Queens. It's uh, star, uh, James Conn is the star in that one. Uh, it's got some f uh, scenes that are outside in the, in the sunny side. Check that out. I looked at it and you get so close to the front. In one <laughs> scene, uh, James Kahn is driven by another guy to the right address, 4303 Queens Boulevard, 4703 Queens Boulevard. He gets dropped off. You see the baldachin that comes out from the Coventry and he goes out of the car. They cut to when he enters a pub and that's not the Coventry. That's another <laughs> pub. But you get to see the Balakin of the Coventry. And that is filmed in the early, late 73, early 74. So that's how close I got. And I was so frustrated. Uh, then I got a tip that Daily News had an article with a photo. And I found it. Um, and that's the photo that's all over the internet now of popcorn. Uh, it was published in Daily News in October of 72. It's taken by Frank Russo, I think. Yep. And it's a fantastic photo. It got me a lot of information, like the place called Ambassador Inn that was in the 60s in the same uh, building. 
was a dance hall. And before that, it was a horseshoe in. And that photo was like, for me, it's magic. I finally got to see how the place looked on the outside where kids played their first gigs. And it's contemporary because October yeah. 1972 is right about the time. I, I think it opens a little bit earlier than that. Um, yeah. It was also an Irish cultural center. Yeah. Um, so very much showing the changing demographic of the Sunnyside area, but yeah. it had just opened in late yeah, 72. Well, yeah. The first ad for it is from August 24th uh, of 72. That's right. And the first band played on just a few days later on the August 30th. It's a band called Puddin. I have no more information that they called Puddin and they played a few more times at the Coventry. And the, the first weekend was uh, September 1st and 3rd. And Link Ray, he you can listen to a lot of his music that's on uh, streaming services. Uh, he played, so it was, he was the second band to play there. Yeah, now Link, Link Ray is one yeah. of the acts to come out of the Coventry popcorn that made it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was legitimate pudding, uh, short for pudding, like yeah. dessert. Um, yeah. I have no idea about, and then uh, we'll talk about some of the other acts as well, because yeah. there's some pretty wild yeah. names. But yeah. that, that ad, um, I've actually got it here, and yeah. I'll, I'll put that up. It's uh, for open auditions. Yeah. Both so, for rock bands and for folk music. Yeah, and, and that was what uh, Betty Smythe, yeah. the, uh, she was the talent booker for the Coventry, had come from the village gate yeah. and that folk scene. But uh, continue with your story. Yeah. Uh, the thing is about Betty Smythe is that Paul Sabin don't remember her. I asked his uh, son about her and he asked his father and he said, I don't remember her. So I don't think she was around for that long because... In 73, uh, Paul Sub, I think, took more responsibility for booking bands. And then a guy called George Perry and also Bobby Flame, who was a bartender, they took uh, bookings later on. And as I understood it, it was almost like if you had, if you came in and asked, can I play here? And it was an empty spot in the calendar. He said, yes. There was. In total, it's over 300 named bands who played at the commentary for those less than two, uh, what's it, two and a half years it was opened. It's 300 named bands, and then you have countless of special guests, uh, third act in the ads. So it's probably like 500 bands who played there for during two and a half years. It's yeah. incredibly how many bands who played for, for, su for such a short period of time. Yeah. When you think of the bands that, that played there, starting with Link Ray, yeah. then perhaps going through Kiss, Heartbreakers, New York Dolls. Yeah, I mean, you just stop right there with those four. But there were others, a lot of yeah. others. You know, um, what was Cindy Lauper's band? I think Blue, uh, band uh, Blue Do Angel. Uh, her, yeah, yeah, but they didn't play that thing. Maybe at the end. But Doc West, her fur, uh, band before, who played. Uh, uh, covers uh, and you mentioned the Heartbreakers they were the last band to play there uh, on the first version of Coventry on the f June 1st in 75 yeah. when they closed down the first time 
so it's one of uh, Elephant Memories, another band who played. That's John Lennon's back. backing yeah. band. Yeah. The, I, th I believe they were the first band signed um, yeah. to David Krebs, uh, Contemporary Communications, okay. be yeah. before the Dolls and Aerosmith. Yeah. And Aerosmith was one of the bands that was toned down. The, the only band, I think, that was toned down because he didn't want to pay them $300 for their traveling from Boston. That's so. that's okay. They weren't needed. They were playing up at Max's, <laughs> uh, which Kiss never got to play. So, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, and so, so it opened. Popcorn opened about twenty fourth around that uh, week, anyway. And it closed down on the first of June, nineteen seventy five. The first version. It's actually four versions of uh, Coventry in total. Did you know that? I know that uh, that Paul tried to open Coventry too. Yeah, uh, I, did. I think in '74, yeah. um, in a different location, so a separate physical club. And then I yeah. know that this place became a disco, it yeah. be and then it transitioned back into I think an ethnic type of center, and then back yeah. to Coventry's coming back. I think in '78, and that's yeah. as much as I know. Yeah, in the, this Coventry too was a small place on First Avenue in Manhattan. It was less than 100 people um, that could fit in there. And it was just for February to June 74. It was basically a flop. It didn't work out at all. And he only booked folk music and artsy stuff there. Uh, one of the artists that I read about, he was bicycling on a, on a unicycle and playing his own songs on a, like an ukulele or something. Uh, so it was really strange music, strange uh, like theaters and radio shows and theaters in those compact versions. It was a really strange place. And it's only open for five, five months, about five months. And then, like you said, uh, after it was, I thought when I read and I interviewed people, it was like very clear for me that Paul was hunting for the success all the time. He was trying to find what to do with the place because something didn't work. He tried something else, he tried something else. All the time was trying to find the formula for the place. And when he closed down the uh, camera, it was like I said, on June 1st on, in 1975, it was supposed to open a disco called Inferno. There's some ads for it and said it's gonna be the hottest place in New York. In less than a month, he changed it to Aritama, a Latin disco. Right. It's just the inferno is less than a month, and then it's switched over to Aritama. And that stays uh, open, though, for uh, six years, I think. It's 1982 it closed down. So it was around for a long time. And Paul told me that that was the only time he made money from that uh, venue. And he made decent money when it was a Latin disco. But for the Coventry and the uh, popcorn, just, okay, he, he he could pay the rent, but that's all. Yeah, but he's also more important to music history by yeah. mediocrity financially. Yeah, than, yeah. Then no one's going to remember too many of the Latin bands to go through no. there in, during that period. But no. people will remember Sniper. Yeah. They played Joey a lot Ramon. of good gigs. That there. was Joey Ramone's band, I yeah. think, prior to the Ramones. Yeah. Um, they they will remember, uh, I think, the Brats. Uh, yeah. Or certainly the Planets. 
Yeah, um, and the harlots of the 42nd Street. And in terms of Kiss, Satan with the Magic Tramps yeah. played there in late 72. Now, Satan, for people who don't know who that is, um, why don't you tell them? Satan is I, uh, it's a really interesting act. Uh, it was a one-man act. Uh, he was also make, doing things in makeup. He would paint himself red, and he has a cloak on, and he was introduced by, uh, I don't know the political correct world, but, but it used to be midget what's called the short people uh, who came out and did like a really um, pompous introduction to him. And he came out and he blew fire or he was uh, eating fire on stage. And he played like a short set at the Coventry, at the Popcorn and other places in Man on Manhattan, like in Max, Kansas City. And he was, I think he may have like introduced it thinking about fire. I know that it was Bill O'Coin to talk to Kiss and said, oh, you should do this. But since he played a lot of the places where probably Bill O'Coin went and Dean and all the other guys went, maybe they saw this show because he did it. He did a quite good show. According yeah, to I don't me. think any of the gimmicks that Kiss had were original, no. but I think they were presented and yeah. made the most of by Bill O'Connor yeah. and Sean Delaney, um, of and of course, a very willing kiss because the Magic Tramps with Satan as the side act. Fire yeah. breathing was nothing new. Arthur Brown had, had done yeah. that that trick. Um, and makeup you know, the same. He did make the Hello also. People had done the the mime. Yeah, you know, so none of it was new. But combining it all with a music that the New York Dolls didn't have. The New York Dolls had a few really good songs. Yeah, but the New York Dolls couldn't present that music. To everyone kiss learned how to do that but uh, let, let's get back to hmm? you know to the popcorn pub and and paul sub so he was the manager right he was a manager he had had some uh, sandwich shops in manhattan in the 60s and early 70s but and he also had some folk music in those venues but they were disturbing the religious communities in the area. So they had to close down and he was looking for a new place to open up and have some stages with more rock music. And he found this place in Manha uh, in Queens and he opened it up. Uh, and it was, it was like taking every band. It was bands on Wednesday through Sunday, almost every week. And it was almost three bands, four bands or five bands a night. And they were playing two or three or sets each night. So it's thousands of concerts for those two and a half years. Um, the first set was around nine and then one around 11. And the third set was at one o'clock in the night. It was often like people stayed till three or four in the morning before they went home. It was a really popping place. And everybody seems to be remembering the place with a good feeling. I talked to 20, 25 people who went there back in the days, both as musicians or working there or as fans, and they all had good things to say. And at first, I, didn't, I couldn't really grasp this because Gina Paul describes it as a dump and a lot of other people said, oh, it was really run down, it was a dump. But then Ronnie from the rags said something that opened up my mind and okay, I understand it now. He said, 
Well, everything was run down at that time. New York was run down. New York was bankrupt. Every place, Max Haines, Kansas City, Merker, uh, all the places in downtown was really run down. Everything. Oh, Merker fell down. It yeah, it fell down. Yeah, it did. It did. Everything was run down and really worn down. So that was how the world looked to them. So it was not strange that the country was run down. That was how the world looked. Yeah, go watch the movie Warrior. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then also the, the commentary was it was painted dark, like almost black, the whole place. The, the only windows you had was those that you can see in the photo uh, that's uh, towards the Queens Boulevard. That was the only windows in the, in the whole pub. And then you have... Uh, I have a video out where I show how the how it looks the place. So if you look at that, you see it's a it's like a T form. Uh, you have the bar that goes into the place, and then you have a larger room inside with the two stages. And you had only windows was very far from that area, and you had almost no lamps inside. It was a really dark place. You couldn't see stuff. So. Even if it was run down, you couldn't see because it was dark inside. Well, one of the descriptions I read about, um, it, it's described in New York Rock, from the rose of the Velvet Underground to the fall yeah. of CG, CB, CBGB. Yeah. Um, it's described as being uh, 300 capacity, but almost the size of an airplane hangar. Which yeah. obviously a hair, an airplane hanger varies in size, uh, you know, up yeah. to 787 size. But it, it sounds like it was much larger than you would think um, yeah, it, it could from, fit from the angle least, of the cameras yeah. of the photos yeah. that we've seen. Yeah, it could fit, I think, two or three times as many people as uh, Max or Merker or Hotel Diplomat. It was a really large place. And. I think Paul Sub himself have mentioned it was 800 capacity, or I think it's one of the ads that six or 700. But that was not in, that was a couple of hundred more than the fire department had allowed. Yeah, fire, fire, fire code is one yeah. thing, reality is yeah. another. I think three or 400 was what the fire department had said it was okay. But mo when uh, dolls played there, they had a few more hundred indoors but when kids play there even on the last time it was it was not like maybe one or two hundred people it was not four or five six hundred people when kids play there uh, yeah that coventry it, video on kissology does not sound like they were falling over each other in the audience no it no it doesn't it doesn't sound like madison square garden no it didn't so and at that time it was still four bands or five bands playing that night and still you had only one or two hundred people um, so he, he had difficulty to, to make money of this, of course. Uh, and the, the glitter scene wasn't that big. It was, it was not like thousands of people. It was a few hundred people who went around to all the places and most of the bands went to see each other. You, you, yeah. when, when you went to see a harlot gig, well, the brats was there, uh, magic tramp was there. They went to see each other and their yeah. fans and their girlfriends and everybody went. It was not that big a scene. No, I mean, the Bleecker Street Loft shows, yeah. you know, which uh, with Queen Elizabeth and Kiss and, you know, some of the hotel, the diplomat yeah. bookings kind of tell that story because yeah. the New York Dolls were part of the Warhol scene. 
Yeah. And that's a completely different scene that Kiss was never really a part of. They yeah. intersect the glitter scene and the dolls. The dolls are unto themselves in many ways. Yeah. Just like Aerosmith was an entity unto itself, even though all three are kind of grouped together. Yeah. Um, the glitter scene was was completely different. Yeah. And that's also, if, if you see the ads for the, I think it's Daisy in the, uh, June or July, where they are promoting themselves at New York Glitter Kiss in some way. And then you have the ad for the August, uh, September shows at the Cometry. Then Kiss are heavy metal masters. Some time around there, they are figuring out we are not part of the glitter scene. We are not New York Dolls. We are not one of those bands. We are something else. And they are starting promoting themselves as we are something Thunder different. Rock. Yeah, Thunder Rock. <laughs> I wish that would have, you know, uh, kept going because Kiss Music is not like a lot of other bands. So, yeah, I think that would have been cool to keep it, keep telling people it's Thunder Rock. Yeah. So let's go back to January 1973. One of my burning questions, yeah. I don't know if your article answers it or maybe Paul Sub did. Why was the club's name changed from Popcorn Pub, which it had only had for four months or so, yeah. to Coventry? And why Coventry? I mean, I, I have an idea, but... Yeah, uh, well, let's see if it holds to the truth. <laughs> Get answers for those, except for one thing I don't have 100% proof of is when exactly changed name. But the the popcorn was not um, the only place called popcorn. It was some place on Manhattan also called popcorn. And he was getting people confused by they calling, oh, is it at your place this band is playing? And, oh, it's not the other one. So he had to change the name for the place. Uh, and he also, but why it was called popcorn was because he was serving free popcorn. With the beer. Yeah, he had popcorn on the bar, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, and that stopped when he changed name to Coventry. And Coventry was just, Paul Sub thought, I want something English and I want something that cool, sounds cool. I think Coventry sounds cool. Let's go with that. It was nothing yeah. more than that. Unfortunately. Yeah, and, and his generation probably knew Coventry as one of the most bombed out cities of World War II. So. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Because he's uh, going to say London or Liverpool, because that's really, <laughs> and, or Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. So that that's what was why. And then the mystery of when was it when was the name changed? And as according to everybody, the first night at least Kiss played there was called the popcorn. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at the ad, it says that there's gonna be new disco on the weekend. And I don't think that you change a name two days before you're going to do something new. You change the name when you start the new. So I think that Friday is the day that you change the name. Now, because Kiss, Kiss played Kiss, there Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. So they, they played in the death zone. Yeah. You know, middle middle of the week, the work week. Yeah. Really. And the I, worst I talked to time. yeah, I talked to I think Binky Phillips of the Planets. He talked uh, about when they play once in 74 and they had a crowd of 30, 40 people and he thought that was okay. <laughs> so that, that's the, that's a bar for okay, 30, 40 people. Now the planets played there a lot, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they, they played there a few times, but I don't remember how many times. I have a list of all the uh, shows somewhere, but I don't have it in front of me. I think Stephen Coronel's post-band played there as well. 
Which one uh, was that? Oh, I, off the top of my head, I don't remember. I believe there was a picture of Stephen playing there, I think, 1978, 79. Um, okay. I may be confusing the date. Because we came to reopen in 78, but it was only opened uh, on weekdays for for like three or four months. Uh, the ads end uh, after three or four months. And it was only weekdays because the Disco Aritama was still going and they only had the pub for uh, using the scenes for concerts one or two nights a week uh, with the name Calvary. But those bands who played at that time was even less successful than the ones in the first era. The only band I really know about, uh, it's the Cramps. They play their Wednesday, one gig on a Wednesday. Huh. The rest of the bands are the She's. I never heard of them. <laughs> uh, it was kind of really strange bands. Yeah, I mean, uh, looking at some of the names, I mean, Harlots, uh, which yeah. we, we know about, obviously, Rampage, Freight Train, The Grey Wizard. I like that name. Yeah, the Grey Wizard and the Grey, uh, the uh, Great Horned Toad. What's on another? Oh, the band. Great Horned Toad. Yes. Yeah. Have you? Have you? I have. I, I, I think they had. I actually think they had a, a record deal, but I've not yeah. tracked down any of that music. It's yeah. it's crazy. Uh, like I said, I have a list of all the bands. Let's see uh, the Planets. They played about thirteen nights, so two or three sets of those nights. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a lot more than Kiss did. Kiss yeah. did three sets of bookings. At yeah, three the, sets of bookings, seven commentary. nights. Yeah. Maybe eight nights. It depends on if they played the 2nd of September. Which they didn't. Or maybe they did. Wow. <laughs> I talked to Jeff Sue. He he had talked to people who was there at the... Because it was a, a festival on the 2nd of uh, September. And there was a lot of bands playing and one of the bands who played that night someone remembers that band looking at kiss at that so maybe maybe not so we have a maybe i we like maybes. A maybe maybes yeah. in history are a very good thing yeah because they make you stop and say i think i know everything but i don't it's no. always a good reminder because the kiss poster has september 1st and 2nd august of the 31st september 1st and 2nd but the ad for the gigs only have the 1st of September, not the second one. So it's a mystery. But maybe that's because of the, uh, it was like a, what's called, uh, they were trying Jerry, to raise money for. Jerry Lewis Telethon, yeah. I believe, for yeah. muscular dystrophy uh, yeah. over the Labor Day. And my, yeah. I, there, there was an article in the New York Daily News about yeah. the, um, the fundraiser taking place and kiss was most certainly listed among the bands yeah, that were, were going to be performing um yeah. but we also have the ads that were print the hand flyers that kiss themselves um yeah. distributed which crossed off the the second so maybe it was crossed off because it wasn't a kiss show specifically no maybe maybe not yeah uh, and i have to, when we talk about this now i have to mention that the last time kiss is mentioned in in the Coventry ads is actually on June 1st, 1975. Uh, well, well, one time later, but let's talk about this first. When uh, the last night of the Coventry, when it was closing down, he had a lottery for 25 uh, Kiss LPs that 
actually KISS management had this, uh, donated to Coventry. And they were uh, have a lottery that night for those. But some of those copies Paul still has. But he has not found he you know in they are somewhere in the storage, but he hasn't found them yet. But he has a, a few more that he hasn't uh, given away so uh, so far. I think that's the first album, so it's probably sealed first albums that are donated to Paul Sub. I told him you're gonna get a lot of money for those if you sell them. Those, those with a little piece of paper saying these, yeah. Signed if you write Paul a letter, Sub, yeah. who booked the first Kiss concerts, yeah. you know, then nice you're going to have your uh, pension secured for the many years. But um, then Kiss was mentioned actually one more time after that, and that's the first ad for the reopening in 1978. In that ad, he listed the bands who was had played there before. And he was trying to, you know, lure people to go there. It was Ramones, who never played there, as far as I know. Like you said, Sniper played there, but I don't think Ramones played there. There's no ads with them listed. Uh, Dictators, strangely enough, David Johansson, but not New Dolls. They named him as a solo artist. Really strange. And Kiss, of course. But didn't get many people there because like i said it closed down three three months later or something and it was just a disco again um and paul sub uh in he decided to make a disco of it uh he all, talked about it already in the fall of 1974 uh when he published an ad with a quite sharp letter in that ad where he says he was quite disappointed in acts who had started at Coventry and not come back for the anniversary week he had in the summer of uh, 74. He doesn't mention Kiss, but it's obvious Kiss is one of the bands he talks about who didn't want to come and play at these uh, anniversary gigs. And he says, oh, if this doesn't change, if people uh, keep uh, forgetting about their past, I'm going to turn this into disco. And one year later, you did. <laughs> so it was a strange, like, behave or otherwise. And when I showed that to his son, uh, Charlie, he just laughed that, oh, my dad was mad. I can see that. <laughs> He well, was quite disappointed. He, he, didn't get, he didn't get any benefit out of these no, bands. You know, I can understand him naming David Johansson rather yeah. than the dolls because the dolls by that time are, are, are poison. Um, yeah. You know, David Johansson is is the dolls. I mean, he's still yeah. alive. He, yeah. he is the one who's had the art and was the face and the voice. Yeah. Um, so so I, I get that, even though it is disrespectful to the importance of the New York Dolls in terms of everyone who they have inspired. Hmm. Um, and it is sad that a, that a band like Kiss, but you can also understand in mid-1974, yeah. not wanting to go back or be reminded of that when they are struggling, um, hmm. about to go in the studio and try and record Hotter Than Hell, you know, and and... and I would say that they weren't having the best of the time on that first tour. Um, 
you know, with but the still, challenges. it would be a big step back to go back to the commentary. It would be a, a humongous yeah. step back. Yeah. And also to to try and then put in their stage show into a club again, it would be a nasty reminder. Yeah, they, they were yeah. doing it in similar clubs, like the Agora, Peter knocking into the ceiling and yeah. uh, and and all of that. And Gina had a chorus. Gene breathed fire in the Coventry. Yeah. That, that is insane. Peter Chris used his exploding drumsticks yeah. in the Coventry. Yeah. With and that, it was funny with because that short roof. he never did it. Yeah. Yin said he didn't do that. But then the video came out and you see, oh, he did it. Then oh, you see that. And then you yeah. see Peter. It, it, it was when I saw Peter and you could actually see the sticks. Yeah. It's the, the insanity. But then you think that Satan was doing his fire act there as yeah. well. So that there really wasn't that kind of, oh, we could burn down the whole place and kill everyone here kind of attitude. No, no. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was quite low roof and, and the, the roof was very, like someone said, it was like a lowered roof and that was like unique in those pubs. Uh, and those squares that was, was such it was so ugly it was so worn down it was such a strange place now you yeah. you, interview, you interviewed paul correct uh, paul sub yeah yeah does he remember booking kiss uh he was talking about that but in that area um i saw a note that his memory was not that clear because he was talking about well before kiss uh play their their uh band before a week lester they played there five times and no they didn't so in that area i couldn't really trust his memories right um and he was talking about yeah they asked me for money and no i couldn't pay them and i did pay them some money i, I think he read some interviews uh, of gene uh, where he talks about, yeah, I managed to get some money for from the Coventry to play there or the popcorn as it was then. Uh, in that area, he, his memory was not that uh, correct, I think. So uh, mm, it's different. That, yeah, that's the downside to 50 yeah. years going by. I know he was uh, quoted, you know, a lot of the people on the scene were quoted for nothing to lose, at least yeah. recording that memory those many years ago when those original yeah. interviews. But who were some of the interviews that you conducted uh, for your research that stand out in your mind? Uh, the son, Charlie Sub, was amazing to talk to because he was around at that time. He was 17 when the popcorn opened. He was there uh helping out decorating when they were building it uh painting and doing some renovation before they opened at the popcorn uh he had his band called the blue swede uh blue suede not sweet suede, suede. Yep. yeah <laughs> they actually played there a few times uh once opening for uh new dolls uh, and they were also doing some uh, rehearsals uh when, before it opened for the evening. They had uh, possibility to uh, rehearse at the stages. And Paul, uh, Charlie also worked there for like clean the place. He was scrubbing for gums, uh, chewing gums that people spit out on the floor. He was doing those kind of clean the toilets, that kind of work. And he had some really good stories. And he was there from when it opened as a popcorn until 
the very last incarnation of the popcorn uh, of the of the commentary that was at another other address at Queen uh, Queen Plaza, where uh, his father has moved his Latin club in 1982 uh, to a place called Plaza 27. And he opened uh, an incarnation of Cavity there for weekdays, and they had hardcore, New York hardcore bands playing there for a year, about a year before they closed down in 1985. That was the last uh, incarnation of Cavity. Uh, uh, I also talked to, um, let's see, members of the Harlots, uh, both the manager and the uh, one of the players called uh, Chris Harlot. Uh, I talked to uh, uh, Keith West of the Brats. Right. Uh, Dick Manitoba of the Dictators. <laughs> handsome Dick. Yeah, handsome Dick. He was full of stories uh he has some uh stand-up show that he does about that era and one part of it is about the coventry uh i talked to uh two of the guys from the rags uh they played with kiss on the last uh days kiss play there there was they was actually one of the bands who played the coventry most times around between 30 and 40 nights together with the Brats, play there a lot. Uh, Ramble On is a band who play there, I think, the most times, and nobody remembers more than... They may have been the th trio. I have a theory that they are a Led Zeppelin cover band because of the name, but because of I have no proof, uh, no proof of it. Uh, and then uh, I talked to... I chatted with some people uh, like... Uh, one of the uh, musicians in Isis. Uh, oh, Jean. Isis. Yeah. Yes. Jean, she had some interesting stories. One of her boyfriends actually auditioned for Kiss in 1972. Really? Yeah, but he didn't get a job. <laughs> he was a two, uh, he was studying jazz musicianship, so he was not the rock and roll guy. So didn't get the job. He, he was, was probably hard. one of those derogatory comments in one of the Kiss books yeah, about probably, the sort of people probably. who auditioned, because everyone yeah. auditioned for the Kiss yeah. in '72. Yeah. Uh, I emailed a lot with, uh, let's see, um, Binky Phillips. I had some. Binky, uh, Binky is a god. Yeah, I, I, yeah, Bink, Binky needs to do a book if you read his facebook yeah. stories on yeah. um, the music history of new york city from 1965 or so on to on uh, his stories are just absolutely amazing yeah as a pop culture i mean he could do a stand-up routine with some of those best stories yeah and he was he was one of the few who actually mentioned the mob and the commentary yeah, I don't. Want, I didn't want to go into that with the uh, in the article because the family. When I asked them, I have to ask them about it and said, uh, no, we didn't have anything with them to, at all. But if you know your New York stories at the time, the mob always comes up, <laughs> and I always and I always go the other direction. Yeah, you should do that. Yeah, uh, let's see. I also, also talked to uh, Andrew. No, actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but before you continue, can yeah. I interrupt? Uh, because there was a rumor that the Coventry closed down in 1975 yeah. because the owner went to jail. No, we didn't. Okay. Uh, not as far as I 
understand because he opened the uh, Aritama. It was like weeks be between the uh, just just kept the, and, yeah. kept the space and reinvented. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's good so, to put that one away. I don't away. think that's no. Uh, I could talk to Andy, who is a guy who uh, recorded the first Kiss bootleg. Actually, he was a guy who recorded the the Bioris Eve gig. Oh, the oh, yeah. His oh. uh, guy with his friend, who uh, the, I think it's a friend who said "Masked Marauders." <laughs> it's a really cool description of it. Uh, he told a lot of about that game but he also went to commentary uh quite a lot he didn't see kids there but uh he went there a lot take uh, a step back just stop yeah. there for one minute yeah. you spoke to the person who recorded the first kiss bootleg yeah i cool. mean if you if you're listening to the show just inhale for a minute that's insane yeah that he didn't so cool. he didn't he didn't uh expect to do that because he went there and according to him kiss was on the billboard uh, when you see the photo of the billboard that um, Harry C. Black Harold C. Black took, it's not mentioning Kiss, uh, and Harold actually got quite <laughs> aggravated. But when I mentioned, someone said Kiss was on the billboard. No fucking way. He was really loud about that. So no, uh, Kiss was not on the billboard. But when he went in to see, uh, when Andy went in to see that gig. He was supposed to record just, uh, he was there to see uh, Iggy Pop. Hmm. But when Kiss started, it was like, what the fuck is this? And he started recording because it was so cool. And he even asked his friend to take some photos, take some photos. But the friend was like, no, I'm saving my role of film for Iggy Pop. <laughs> <laughs> so that, so we didn't get those. Uh, let's see, Binker Phillips, uh, Chris Harlot, uh, Danny G. He played in a band called Age, who played their few nights at the end. They, they uh, there's quite a few songs on YouTube you can uh, find. The Age, no, or not the Age, just Age. Uh, they played uh, typical seventies rock and roll, really good. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I chatted a short time with Dina and Regina. Dina Jorine. Jorine. Oh, she, she took all the classic kiss photos there, yeah, didn't she? Yeah, she did. And she was I... Paul's, uh, Jean's girlfriend at the time, I think. Was she? Also, yeah. I didn't dare to ask if Nothing to Lose was about them, but <laughs> better, better not ask that. In, in, in polite conversations, yeah, you, gen yeah. you generally don't. No, I don't, no. Uh, and then uh, Jean Feinberg, like I said, from ISIS. Uh, and Joey Sosa and Ronnie uh, Mutuna from Rags. They were really great talking to. They were really funny guys. Uh, they were a local band from the area, and they they rehearsed in a school quite close to Coventry, uh, where they they got to use the uh, uh, the the what's called the assembly hall uh, with the stage, so they could really practice to play and. Actually, Bill O'Coin was trying to get the uh, the guy who wrote the music for the band, that was Ronnie, to be a solo artist. He wanted oh. to, uh, to to um, recruit him as a songwriter and a solo artist, but he wanted to uh, do his things with the rags. And rags also made a lightning lightning uh, sign. Probably seen that. 
Have you seen it? Um, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of it. Uh, let's see if I can find. There's Rags. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they did that. Uh, they got inspired by Kiss. Uh, but they built it themselves. He said it was totally dangerous. We thought it was going to burn down the place every night because it was so hot and it was not safe. Uh, and they they actually, there's a, a CD of their music that's impossible to get because it was released on a like order. They print it when you order it service 15, 20 years ago. Uh, it's eight songs of their uh, that they recorded back in. Oh, uh, like CD Baby or one of those things. Yeah, back in it was, the day. It was yeah. CD Baby, and it's yeah. it's closed down now. And it's also a twenty-one song bootleg version of that. It's, a, it's a eight songs that they released and some demos that someone had. So it's twenty-one songs. I haven't found that one, but I got the eight eight song version. It's it's also good seventies uh, music. It's it's not typical of the scene. It's a little more uh, stones, I think, than the... That's not a bad thing. No, I think it's really good. Really good. Uh, Keith West uh, was really good talking to. Uh, Lydia Chris had some information too. Um, but I, I was trying to talk to her about the first photos she took. Uh, there seems to be photos from two different dates. If you look at the photos and the, and the speakers in the background, they are switching places. Some speak, one speaker is gone in one photo, and two speakers have switched places. So is it the same night or is it two different nights? I really want to know that. Really want to know that. What else do you still want to know about the Coventry? What are the, some of the questions that you have not had answered to your um, satisfaction? I want to see how the front looked. Uh, how did they change the front when it switched name from Popcorn to Coventry? Uh, I also want to... Uh, that is the one thing we have. We have the yeah. Popcorn pub photo is magnificent. Yeah. But, but it's it still is, popcorn. It's still popcorn. <laughs> it's still popcorn. Um, but even though it was only there for four months and the Coventry yeah. was there for a couple of years, yeah. it we still want to see what it looked like as the Coventry. I agree. Yeah. In yeah. color. Yeah. And then I know that Kiss played on the main stage. When when you came into the large room, uh, the main stage was on the left. It was a little bit bigger than the second stage on the right side. Uh, it also has better lighting. And it had a better uh, sound system because the counter had a good sound system that the band could use if they wanted to. Uh, they had a lot of uh, PA and speakers that you could use. And I want to know if the August-September gigs, which date did they play on? Because it's only one photo. It's only this photo. Let's see if I can find It's only that photo from the August-September shows. As far as I know, I have not seen another photo. Uh, and then in December again, they played in the in the main stage. Uh, and at that time, they had a stage, the lower the front part of the stage that's not around in any other photos. Uh, I have a theory that it was just there for the Kiss show, because Kiss needed to be able to to train moving around on a bigger stage. They didn't needed to train that, because. They were going to the newest Eve gig and 
they had only played in small places. They had to train how to play in, a, in front of an audience. Yeah, they had rehearsed, but they had not done it for real. So I think that lower part was just for the Kiss show. It was not there in the January, February gigs. Um, I would also like to know, of course, the set lists. What kind of songs yes. did they play? Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you... I did a piece uh, about the um, alleged set list that Gene uh, has, and it was in the history. No, oh, the, the the two sets that we've all taken to be yeah. truth. Yeah, is, I have a theory about it. Yeah, I have a theory about it that um, the songs that you see on the lower right side that is the set list. The songs on the top side is just what songs can we play? Because if you compare what is scratched out and uh, the the pen, it's it's in, written in two or three different pens, so it's not written in one at one time it's written in different times um i don't know if i did a translation of that i may do that and put it on the fac uh, forum uh, because i think i had some ideas that may be new in that one that now, would be nice what kind of songs did you play there's one other artist from that inaugural show yeah that i find interesting david buskin yeah do you remember the name i have heard it but i can't remember what he did well he uh he he played at the uh the popcorn pub the first night yeah um and then he is on backing vocals on peter chris's out of control Ooh. so connecting the very earliest part of peter's career with kiss yeah. to the very end it's a nice bookend yeah. Um, and I, I need to check that, that that is indeed the same David Buskin. Yeah. Um, because again, it, but that was one thing that jumped out at me. I was like, that name seems familiar. Yeah. Um, so, so he was like playing the same night Kiss did there first? No, he played the same night as Link Ray. Okay. Okay. 72. Yeah. So okay. in that part of the, the history of the club. Yeah. And then, of course, to be connected with Peter at the end of Kistry. Yeah or his yeah. first history yeah one more thing is i would like to find a definite proof that kiss actually played there the 30th of january they are not mentioned in the uh, ad uh, we just go by hearsay uh, that lydia chris claims that it's in her diary that they played that day and kiss has mentioned they played three nights but there's no physical proof of it that i've seen in the ad, it's only January 31st and uh, February 1st. So That's true. Did they play that night? Uh, and isn't it the Daily News that the, uh, I think the Coventry ad or the Popcorn ad has the uh, Infinity, Peter Chris's oh. other band playing the other nights of the week? Uh, no, I don't think so, actually. Uh, Dante's, or I'd have to go back. I, again, all of these ads yeah. become a blur to my head. Um, but I know yeah, Infinity, I think, I know Infinity I and Kiss are on the same play. page of a newspaper uh, on yeah. one ad. Maybe on another place. Uh, yeah. another Because Infinity never played, as far as I know. Uh, I have to check. You have the list of all the bands, so... 
but I don't remember them. No, they would have been at the same venue. They would have been playing. Uh, Infinity okay. would have been playing at a different club, but okay. on the same uh, on the same page, an ad for yeah. Infinity and an ad for Kiss. That um, is probably for the uh, for the September second gig because that is one of the uh, talking points against Kiss playing there because they couldn't play if Peter played on on with Infinity somewhere else on the September second. How could Kiss play the same night? Well, you could dress dress up and dress drive up, there, but... dress Moose up or Jr. Yeah. up as yeah, it's possible, but <laughs> who knows? Um, who knows? Yeah, uh, but to get def definitive proof that Kiss actually played there on the uh, January thirtieth would be nice. Yeah, because now we don't have that. Uh, that would be cool. We st uh, we still have a lot of mysteries to solve in history. <laughs> yeah, and people tend to disappear. Uh, Mark Pollard was a really good uh, guy to interview. He played with a, guy, a band called Mercury, who played at the Coventry, and he was also in the music in hand, and he was also of Jewish heritage, and he uh, his band and Kiss was touring around the country at the same time in '74. And once uh, he was playing at the uh, Alex Cooley's in Atlanta. And he knew that Kiss was coming uh, just in a few days. So he wrote a message to, to Gene in Hebrew on the wall <laughs> for Gene to read when he came around. So he, and he, he, uh, he saw that and he like answered back in some way uh, about it. So, so it was, it was, small scene they knew each other they were uh, supporting each other. and mercury they actually recorded a uh, c uh, an lp with ron johnson in uh, 74 that was unreleased it's unreleased um so then they, Didn't they also a... opened for kiss in 74 new jersey yeah they were supposed to but at the sunshine inn but they came too late and they had some problems with their van and they came too late and they were not allowed to play so they're hey it happened to kiss too so there yeah, you go yeah uh but he was he was he also played with the brats for a while uh and he played with murder inc later on uh so it's a lot of bands a lot of people played with the brats and then moved on to other bands or started with other bands and then moved to the brats like uh, or decane i think Play with the bats for a while. Uh, Rick Rivets played there also for a while. So they were moving around. It was it was like a small scene that was popping in some way. Uh, let's see what's more. Someone else I interview. Yeah, some really funny was Sheer Back. She was married to one of the um, Harlot guys back in the time. Yeah, Jean Harlot, I think. She has some really good stories and she's trying to put together a book and that book, I will, I really want to read that book because the story she told me, that was just icing on the cake. She has so many, many stories to tell and she's working on it. And she was married to the, she was in, in at that scene. She was also singing for Ruby and the Rednecks. It was one of the bands who played at the commentary. Uh, and she was about 17, 18 at that time. She was a young girl, but she she remembered a lot. She was really fun to talk to because she has a clear memory 
of uh, things. So, well, and everybody was so happy to be interviewed. They had, there was no one who I actually got to talk to who was like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. That's no, no. Everyone was like, oh, you want to know that? Oh, I want to tell you about this. Yeah, some people said, oh, I don't have much to say. And then we sat for one and a half hour chatting about it. So it gives people good memories to talk about this. It was... Well, because you, you start talking with someone and then yeah. it starts generating the memories. You yeah. know? So, so this is an eight-page article, yeah. but it sounds like there's a whole lot of more work around it where do you stand with this is this an ongoing project is it a personal um mission uh well it started as as like i want to find a photo of the coventry and then it started like oh i want to tell the coventry story and i was very clear when the when i contacted people that this is not going to be a kiss story this is going to be the story about the coventry the popcorn mm -hmm. and paul sub uh, i want to tell his story and his place. And that, I think, opened a lot of doors because some people are like, they're not admitting to it, but I think they are actually jealous of Kiss being the band who broke. And they felt like, why couldn't our band broke have been the big band? Uh, when I, but when I said, oh, it's not going to be focused on Kiss, then it was easier to them to open up and talk about it. Uh, I was one of the guys, I'm, I won't mention who it was, but he said he was one, a lot of the bands was there to see Kiss when they did their press gig. Is it January? Uh, January the 8th. 8th. Yeah, at the Fillmore. There was a lot of those bands uh, that was competing with Kiss or played on the same stages anyway. And he told me that when Kiss played, there was a lot of comments like, why why did they get the chance why couldn't we we are better but he he told me that no kiss was the best they were professional they had the team behind them they were always on point they were rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing they had the good songs and they had the whole package in a way that none of the other bands had yeah come on they worked they worked yeah. very hard they had yeah. bill o'coin they had Sean Delaney for yeah. the artistic side and once and who had the connections yeah. with Neil Bogart. So, and of course with the dolls hitting, it was almost too perfect. Yeah. Um, dolls weren't that far ahead of them. No. And dolls, I mean, okay. They tried, they tried to get a record company for quite a while. And most companies said, no, no, no. And then they released a record. It didn't sell that good. It was not, I mean, Kiss' first two, three records sold at least at, as much or even more. Like, yeah. than the, and they the didn't have Tom Rundgren producing them. Yeah. So that, uh, if you compare to the 80s and uh, the LA scene where, okay, one band hit it off and all the record companies signed every band that you can find, that didn't happen in New York. It was like, okay, we tried with New York Dolls, now it was a flop. We don't sell that good. Uh, they don't sell out the big arenas. So we, we, we move to another place and look in other cities, other places. And then Kiss came. But yeah, but Doll, Dolls got a second chance with the second yeah. record. Aerosmith's first one was a dud, and they yeah. nearly got dropped by their label, and they had to do a deal to release yeah. Get Your Wings. 
But the New York Dolls got the second album, but they still couldn't do it on the road. No. They would do maybe one good show out of every 10 that they would perform. Kiss was consistent. Kiss yeah. blew the roof off yeah. night after night after night and reached yeah. the audience, just like Aerosmith. They got the music yeah. to the people and they built followings. Yeah. Work, work, work. That's that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. But the New York Dolls have inspired way more bands in a way yeah. because they're media darlings tied up in the whole Warhol thing. Yeah. Yeah, but look at all the people who cite Ace Frehley as yeah. the reason they play guitar, or Peter Chris as a drummer, <laughs> yeah. or model yeah. themselves on Paul Stanley as the lead singer. Yeah. It's yeah. all good, and that's what's great about celebrating them fifty years after their first shows. Yeah. Um, so, Kiss Destroyer um, fanzine. What, yeah. what sort of article are you going to dig into next? What? Uh, I'm going to try actually to to do something similar with the Daisy. That's oh, my that. uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but but Sid, Sid Benjamin, Patty, his daughter. I don't know what's what Pat, Patty's still there. alive. She's still alive. As uh, I was told, find by find some of the people who took the microphone during that soundboard uh, during the Life in the Woods conga line. But do you know what I think every time I hear him getting on stage? That's the guy from Amityville Horror. <laughs> 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 That's what I get in my head. That's the guy. He's going down there, get drunk, get up on stage and sing. It sounds like that kind of guy. Uh, but I, I get, I get uh, hopefully, uh, I got a connection with a guy who's a friend of Patty. And he also hang out when he was 10, 11 years old. He hang out at the uh, Daisy in the afternoons when Kiss was there rehearsing. Because they, according to him, Kiss went out there early and they rehearsed before they played in the night. And he sat on the stage looking at Kiss rehearsing when he was 10 years old, drinking his uh, pop with a str uh, straw. And Paul was like shaking his head and uh, doing the moves. So he, I hope I can find uh, some ways in to, to do something similar to that. Uh, I would love to. We have the video of the guys visiting uh, Camerty. When is it? 91 or something. They do to the, no. They visit the, the Daisy. That's on uh, YouTube, right? But it's poorly filmed, and it's still twenty years after. So I would like to find something that's more, more photos of it when it was uh, when Kiss played there. Would be cool. Yeah, it's really shocking how few photos there really are from nineteen seventy three. Yeah, it's very it was, very sad, really. Yeah. But also, there was a series of articles about the places Kiss played in uh, 73. So, Daisy the second, um, Hotel Diplomat. Well, that's probably it. Then that, that, that pretty much covers it, other than yeah. the library. Um, <laughs> the library, the loft. Uh, and, and Bleecker yeah. Street. So, yeah. you know, there really isn't that much more for that year, no which is what's so... And no wonder the other bands were jealous, because yeah. it's almost that Kiss did not pay their dues in the yeah. clubs. They were playing four sets at the Daisy for a few of their bookings, but yeah. that didn't last long. I think they did two sets a night at the yeah. uh, Popcorn when they started, then four sets at the Daisy for, for yeah. two series. But that's not dues. And Peter Chris paid his dues yeah. because he was doing yeah. double time. <laughs> yeah, and the Daisy, I don't know if what kind of room uh, reputation that place had at the Manhattan scene. 
Oh, the Dolls, uh, Harlots. Well, what did they think of the? Did they even know? Well, look at look at the bands who played out at the Daisy. Nautilus, yeah. you know, is the only one I can think of off the top of yeah. my head. I mean, even the Coventry. Come on, it had Hootin Nannies. That's folk music, country, <laughs> yeah. yeehaw days. Yeah. So every Monday, yeah, they weren't Kiss. Again, yeah. they're playing nowheres. You know, yeah. one has poisonous 35 cent beer. The other one really isn't much of a scene. It's on the periphery of it. It's very second rate compared yeah. to Mercer Arts um, upstairs at Max's uh, or, you know, most of the places that people will think of, which are associated primarily with the dolls in that period. Um, Kiss is nowhere near there. Instead, oh. they're playing the Sunnyside area Queens up near. Uh, what is it up near the Midtown Tunnel? And the yeah. Greensboro Bridge, and he was he was he was striving to get people from Manhattan to come out there because in almost every ad you have a description. It's just five minutes by car. It's uh, close to the uh, subway and everything. And the Manhattan people they came out in the weekends. They yeah. came out to see the dolls, to see uh, harlots. So they put took out their people the rest of the week, and even on the weekends we had the local people. It was more blue collar working people and there was not not conflict but it was a clash of cultures uh i think it was sheer black back who told me that when the, when the bands ended the tour they uh, the end of the gigs they had to redress they had to take off the makeup because if you went out on the streets cars would stop people would scream at them throw uh bottles at them they had to tune down their uh androgynity and their uh trans uh, makeup because yeah, you have pe people tapping on glass bottles come out yeah. and play come out yeah and it play. was like that <laughs> because it was a, but it was supposed to be quite a lot of bars and uh it was also strip club that she back said she was uh stripping uh, dancing at just a block down the road and the bands went there to see her and other dance and then someone called them say oh you're up in 15 minutes and they had to run up and do their gigs and they had the they had a downstairs area, backstage area at the Coventry, where they uh, had their after show parties and dressing room. Yeah, so this was downstairs. Uh, it was a stairwell. To if you see the uh, the video on the right side of that stage, you had a uh, fire exit door to the uh, 46th street and you had to stare down to the basement where they had quite a large uh, room where they had sofas and uh, tables and yeah chairs so you can have parties and some i think there was some toilets down there too and you had this is so strange you had a guy living there it was called <laughs> louis uh it was charlie who told me about that guy he, he he lived down there for at least a year or two and he was a handyman he was uh, a guard to see that nobody broke in during the the close nights and during the daytime he was repairing stuff and he was had a large uh, record collection down there and he saw this as his his apartment so when the other bands came down and had parties sometimes it got quite heated uh between them <laughs> and he had he he always had shorts and uh thick what's called a uh, thick uh, hat on with uh, like you have in the winter he had that right. 
all year round. And he stayed down there. It was called Louis. Uh, so and he did a lot of things for Paul uh, during the years. So it was, yeah, it was a, quite a strange place sometimes, I think. Well, it sounds like a very colorful place. It, it, yeah. You know what? I think you're to be congratulated for for bringing a lot of this to light. Uh, it's illuminating a part of history that's important. Uh, yeah. It's also entertaining. And yeah. you know, I I hope the readers of Kiss Destroyer fanzine appreciate that because we're we've got to live it in a conversation and people yeah. listening to this. But it takes a lot of work and a lot of commitment to do that research. And yeah. it, it that's why I want to say thank you. Thank you. It was really nice being a guest at your show. Well, Ronnie, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find the Kiss Destroyer fanzine and you if you want them to find you? Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, so look me up there. And the Kiss, uh, Kiss Army Sweden, Go. that's the, uh, that's the group on uh, Facebook. We also have a, uh, a page on the internet, but easiest way to get hold of us is on Facebook. Awesome. Kiss well, thank you very them. much for joining me today and uh, best of luck with whatever you decide to take on next. Thank you. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the Kiss FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.